Hey everybody, it is me. My name is Christopher Thomas Plant. My name is Russ Frustick. Welcome to the Resties. It is the... me. Sorry. <laughs> it's me, Mario. Welcome to the Resties. We're the rest of the best. Discuss the best of the rest. Can you imagine if Chris Chris Pratt just started it with "It's me." It, it's me, Mario. That's how the movie started. <laughs> I do honestly. Do you expect anything different? No. That is where no. my head is at right now. He's going to sound just like Chris Pratt. And you know what? Garfield is also going to sound just like Chris Pratt. It might be the same movie. They might just do a crossover. Why not? Get him. Pull off the Band-Aid. Um, this week, we're talking about Neon White, a game that I fucking love. I love this. This game really caught me off guard. It is by, I believe, the same creator as Donut County. That's correct. Donut Country, Donut County, uh, which I liked. I liked, but this is a very different type of thing. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But first, I wanted to run something past you. I, this weekend, I went and saw a double feature. This was my Father's Day treat to myself. Wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. Uh, movie A was Unchen Andalou. You are not far off. And movie B was Babe Pig in the City. Uh, so... Interesting that you should you should say this. Movie A was the original John Carpenter's The Thing. Oh, okay. That's wonderful. Most of the people in the theater had not seen it before. Mm. Um, and I I think they thought like old movie, this'll be not that violent. And then like, you know, they do chest compressions on a dude and you know their arms go through his yeah, stomach and it's very violent. Off. Very violent. They were shocked. And then I went and saw Mad God, which is this new movie by, uh, well, I guess new. It's been in like the works for like 30 years. Um, and it's by the dude who did a lot of the stop motion animation on like Star Wars and stuff. Cool. The other movie I saw was a film called Mad God, which is a stop motion dystopic like horror movie by one of the dudes who did the stop motion work on Star Wars. Mm. And he's, it's like his pet project. He's been working on it with a small team for, I think, like 30 years. Anyway, coming out of this, I realized I've seen a lot of gross things in films. Both mm-hmm. these movies have some very, very gross things in them. And I was curious, what is the grossest thing that you've ever seen in a movie? Oh, that is relevant for Unchained Andalou because they cut that sheep's eye. <laughs> You're, you are right. In the movie that I have in mind, I actually wrote a review about it, and I mentioned Unchained Andalou. But I want to hear yours first. Uh, grossest thing I've seen in a movie? I mean, when I was a kid, Temple of Doom was certainly up there That's seeing a guy's heart get ripped out of his chest. Pretty gross. Not to mention the bugs. I think the bugs I found more disturbing than the... When they reach through the like that hole in the wall and there's all the bugs in the hole. And I'm like, no, no, I wouldn't be pulling that. I would not save short round and Indy from that collapsing ceiling. They do both be toast. So <laughs> that's probably what springs to mind. I'm sure there are grosser, but that's I'm what. guessing that you didn't like the bug sequence in Peter Jackson's King Kong. Disturbing as well. But because they were giant bugs, it was like almost mm. less disturbing than that. Yeah, like because a giant bug is just going to eat you and tear you apart. They're not going to like crawl into your ear. Yes, I feel like I've unless seen you're more... King Kong, in which case it might crawl into your ear. <laughs> I well, that's that's true. I never I, I didn't consider that they're King Kong sized. Mm-hmm. 
Um, did you ever see the movie Kuso? No. So this is a movie that I saw years ago at a Sundance. I think it was like 2017 or something. And it's by uh, Flying Lotus, the musician who also like does other stuff. Mm. And it is the it is the grossest movie I've ever seen. It has there's like a moment in it with Tim Heidecker from Tim and Eric, where his head comes up from inside a toilet and it's covered in like piss and shit, and mm. he has like boils that are like oozing all over yeah. the toilet seat. Um, and do you know who George Clinton is? Yes. There's a scene where George Clinton is a doctor and he like... Is he co- a doctor of funk, I should ask? Well, I mean, he's that in real life. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, he's just a doctor who like coaxes a like a cockroach that's like human size. Uh, I don't want to... Out don't, of no. a person's butthole. No. Yeah. Stop. Tr- an- trigger warning. Is it too late for trigger warning? <laughs> Jesus I'm just Christ. saying it's in the movie. I don't Gross. think there's anything wrong with talking about art. Gross. Um, that's it. That's kind of the whole intro that I had. <laughs> My goal was to get as many people to never listen to the show again. Yay! But we were going to talk about a game that I think we both absolutely adored, so that's worth looking for. Yeah, we'll do that right after the break. Chris Plant, I feel like this year is one of the weirdest insofar as, mm. obviously, we... It's lighter in terms of big releases. You know, we have the Elden Rings, we have the Dying Lights, but broadly speaking, there are not a ton of AAA major releases that have come out. Um, But that's okay, because we've been uh, kind of feasting on these smaller, but still profoundly excellent uh, games that have been coming out, kind of out of, I mean, for us, out of nowhere, just because usually these games, we don't follow the entire development cycle of. And one of those games is Neon White, which is uh, out and terrific. How would you describe it succinctly? Okay. Um, so on on the one hand, uh, it's like a Persona-style visual novel. You uh, effectively play a character who has died, goes to heaven, and you're in heaven sort of interacting with angels and other people that died. Um, on the other hand, while you're in heaven, you're co- sort of given these mini-missions missions that last like a minute or less, 30 seconds sometimes, that are parkour shooting combos where you're sprinting through these environments, these like heavenly environments, shooting guns, uh, activating special abilities like double jumps in an effort to try to beat the levels as quickly as possible. So the game sort of bounces between those two and it is a wild combo and I think they do both quite well. Um, I'm I'm completely smitten with the gameplay, and and even the the narr- the writing and the voice acting is quite entertaining as well. Yeah, and I think if I like both, but you can kind of lean more on one or the other if you want to. That is true. So, so like the the speed running levels, it really wants you to speed run the game and learn how to like beat these levels as fast as humanly possible. Um, but I, you can progress a fair amount just by like kind of skating by. I actually don't know that that's true. Well, you have to get golds eventually. You, for a while, you can get through the game. And I, I also just don't personally think it's like that hard to get the height, the ranks needed to keep moving through the story. Right. Anyway. That's what I, I was going to say. That is like, yeah. it, it, plant, when plant says speed running, you might instantly be intimidated 
of like, oh, that is not something that I can do or want to do. It's stressful, whatever. The way the game feels and how it's sort of paced, everything in it is seemingly pretty attainable so long as you, you know, it's more, it's closer to a puzzle in that way where you know when to use a certain ability at what time. And if you do that, you will always, always, you don't have to worry about it. You'll get the gold required to sort of progress the story. Um, yeah, it really wants you to do well. And then on on the story end of things, you can basically skip through all of it and yeah. just kind of like effectively juice it for any rewards that you can get. There are some bonus stages and stuff. But yeah, I, I, I kind of want to unpack this loop a little more because I think they're, you're right, it, it, it's a tale of two games. It is. And, and those loops feed each other really well. So the this like speed running loop, which you're doing because you are a sinner who is competing with un- other sinners in heaven for a place to one one place to stay in heaven amongst yes. all the angels and you do this by speedrunning these courses and killing demons and a very like typical e- example of a level is you're you're running through the course doing your parkour right but the only way that you can do special jumps or shoot things is by picking up cards. So say there's a pistol. You pick up the pistol and it's just like a pistol. It's, you know, single shots. Or if you dispose of the pistol, like throw it away, it gives you a double jump. So just one time use, you can double jump. There's a rifle. And if you grab that rifle, you can shoot things at long distances. Or if you throw it away, you can dash forward so fast that you'll like crash through enemies or like certain walls. Um, so it becomes this kind of, yeah, like it, it, the pu- it puzzle meets card game meets shooter. And again, what's amazing about this to me is any one of those things could be too difficult yeah. and put me off. And yet none of them are. It never gets as difficult as I, I feared it would. Yeah, they, they are very smart about making the platforming challenges very attainable while still being satisfying when you like actually pull it off. You know, they'll have these moments where you like, let's say you just got a rifle and with that rifle, you can use it to shoot guys, obviously. But one tactic might be, okay, I'm going to take two shots on these two enemies and then I'm going to activate its power to sort of dash forward and slice up the last guy that's the sort of mentality you're going through and it seems like it would be intimidating or overwhelming or just like too much to handle even watching trailers i was like this might be a little much for me but i i think they're very smart because it it's not a game that requires like perfect aim there's like tons of aim assist so it's not so much about like the skill it's it's more about like the strategy of how you're moving through these levels yeah and uh, unless you really want to speed run it and get there's like an ace trophy yeah they call it it kind of gives you the cards that you need in the right order yes um for like at least the first half of the game yeah it, Um, it, it is basically a puzzle game in that way where they're giving you the pieces that you need and also even even more so if you find yourself like man i can't get gold on this it's impossible if you keep playing the same level, eventually they unlock a hint for you that kind of floats in the world and you can jump into it and it'll basically show you a path that if you follow it, you will get gold. Well, so let, let's talk about that. I think I could be wrong here, but the way I think this loop works is you can get bronze, silver, gold, ace, right? Yeah. And each of those unlocks different things. I believe at silver, you unlock a little present that's in the world. And no. if you collect... Oh, 
I'm sorry, yeah. you're right. Yes. And yeah. if you collect these presents, you can then give them to characters in the visual novel side of stories to like advance plot and learn yes. more about characters and maybe some other stuff that we will not spoil. Um, and I think if you beat gold, you get a hint that will show you how to beat ace. I don't, I think you I, get the hint earlier than that. Mm, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I, th- I, I think you might. Yeah. I, I don't know. It could also just be different for different parts of the game. Um, but yes, anyway, what I like about this is it kept motivating me to go through it because assuming the gold to ace thing, I would like complete a run. If I didn't get gold the first time, I would at least get the gift. So then I could go look for the gift. And while I did that, I was learning about the map. And then I would get gold, which would show me the ace speed running kind of like, again, that little icon, you're right, that you like tap and it shows you an alternate path. Mm-hmm. And then my mix of like, oh, well, while searching for this gift, I learned a lot about how the map works. Plus, I have this little hint now. I can probably speed run it. So it's like it's really teaching you how to think about speed running without again, I, I I think you were like spot on to almost not want to say speed running because that sounds so intimidating to me. And this game is the exact opposite of that. There, I I find nothing about this game intimidating. I feel like it is constantly trying to help me out and do me a solid. I'll tell you what it feels like. It feels like there's probably a level that everyone here listening has played hundreds of times, say like Mario 1-1, for example. I can sprint through Mario 1-1 more or less blindfolded. I just know it so well. Because of the size of these levels and the sort of attainability, what they're asking you to do, it feels like each of these is a level that you've played a thousand times, even if it isn't, because of the way it's sort of balanced and and how it flows through the world. Um, I think it's a perfect example of like great level design, uh, a great way to sort of introduce new mechanics, like the new card abilities, stuff like that. Progression is really great in this game. Yeah, it's it's very smart. Um, and, And we haven't even touched on what I think is perhaps the most successful aspect of this game. And that's the overall like look and sound of it is really quite remarkable. Okay. So I, I have some strong feelings about this that I will share. Okay. So the, the look actually, how, how would you describe the look before I, mean, I go you, into it? You said it and I agree with it. I think other people have said this too. It's very Dreamcast, and I feel like there are people listening that maybe didn't have a Dreamcast or don't know what that means. It's low poly, but not, but like very bright and colorful and welcoming, but not like super hardware intensive. So, like, all the water texture, for example, is just like a shiny blue kind of ground that you can slide on. It's not, you know, rippling and super detailed or anything like that because it's not the point. I it's mean, you, you compared be... it to Paradise Killer with me. and I Yeah, I think... again, I don't know how many people actually play yeah, Paradise or... Killer, but yes. Mirror's Edge is another kind of similar example. But I, w- but I would say Mirror's Edge like goes for a more realistic look, and this certainly is not realistic. This <laughs> this is much more... Yes. It almost looks like someone like took a level creator and built these levels using a level creator, because it yeah. is, again, very simple, but I think it works for what they're trying to do. Yes. And, and the, like the worlds themselves, it's like this Baroque architecture. Like it's very like gaudy and yet starched, like bleached. So it's taking these, you know, castles and 
uh, giant pirate ships, but they are like bleached white with like hints of gold or silver. It's like Bayonetta if it came out on the PS One. <laughs> uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I I think run through a a rinse cycle of just pure bleach. But yes, yeah. I I think that's right. Um, so. Yes, I, I mean when I mentioned the Dreamcast, the Dreamcast came out in nine nine ninety nine in the states, like you know, one of the most famous dates of all time. Of course, but w- what I think is telling about it is the Millennium aesthetic, and this is like you know, right before nine eleven, there is this culture, especially in the United States, especially amongst like middle class white families in the suburbs, of like utopia of hey, the economy has just been rolling along for so long. People could afford to buy homes, again, in this very specific group of people. Um, it, it was very, like, glossy. Um, this is the era, of, like, the end days of, like, uh, boy bands, of the uh, Spice Girls. I mean, Spice World, I think, is, like, an epitome of this aesthetic. Josie and the Pussycats, right? Mm-hmm. There's all of that. And then underneath that is this, like, angst especially of like teenagers who are seeing this and being like well this can't possibly be right i don't know what's wrong but but something is amiss here and that is why during this period we have this boom of like pop punk we have emo hot topic um, we have hot topic we have yeah the whole like nightmare before christmas type of aesthetic right so you get this mishmash of very gaudy bright colors um, and I think around the same time, you could see a lot of anime finally making its way into America, like Sailor Moon, things that were also appearing at Hot Topic, clashing with the kind of like emo look. And that to me is this game. Yeah. Where the characters look like a like My Chemical Romance cover art. Totally. Project, 100%. Yeah. Right. Um, and yeah, I, I just find it. I find it interesting for that to come back today because it's coming back everywhere this isn't limited to this game or even games in general like if you look at fashion right now the millennium aesthetic is just back um and i like i don't know what it means i don't and i i kind of don't know entirely what it means in the context of this video game i it feels very purposeful um because it's not just the dreamcast look right like there are other things here that i think kind of look like ps2 persona E, especially in the visual novel um it's kind of combining a bunch there's i don't know if it's actually pre-rendered 3d backgrounds in the visual novel but it looks kind of like that pre-rendered 3d you would see on like donkey kong country or uh resident evil which for people who don't know that term back in the day since like a video game console couldn't actually produce 3d they would make a 3d image they would render it somewhere else and they would literally just like take a photo of it, yeah, and then put it in the game as like a background. It was a way to sort of trick the game, trick you into thinking that it was actually three D rendered, but it was sort yeah. of just using that as an asset. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe it's just this is purely just what the developers liked. But I was curious for you if there was like, what about the art? clicked with you because i'm still trying to piece that for myself i mean the the visual novel art i think is good but not doesn't necessarily stand out to me against you know we're talking about like the characters as they're drawn which are good but i've seen as you said persona it feels very true to that i think the world art itself feels very different from most games that i've played recently um, you know, we talked a lot about what it looks like, but it just doesn't have a lot of analogs to 
a lot of games. I just feel like that era of games, that early 2000s era, has not been explored in a modern game design setting yeah. very often. It's, when it was so, it was so brief. Yeah. It was such like a weird little thing. That, I don't know. It feels like that the Dreamcast especially is like caught between worlds where it's not well, quite... Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because you had, you know, pixel art, obviously, in the 90s, and and that sort of, like, hit its peak, and pixel art has since been explored over and over again. But the idea of, like, early 3D for a long time was like, oh, this just looks like shitty modern games. Like, they just couldn't, you know, Chrono Cross couldn't do super HD models and textures, so it just kind of looks shitty. Obviously, in retrospect... We realized that even though there were technical technical limitations that were that ended up causing that, that whole look and feel has its own real charm, and uh, and I love to see it. I, I you know again I think it really manifests in this. I, you know I would also say I think there are a lot of games that like I was talking to you about Suda Fifty One games. I think there are a couple games that I enjoy of Suda Fifty One. Um, what is that? Shadows of the Damned, I think, was one of the games yeah. that I liked of his. Um, and, you know, obviously No More Heroes. I don't particularly like a lot of his stuff, even though I like his aesthetic and his, like, outlandish storytelling. And I think this game has that same style. Yeah. But it also carries with it a really strong, like, gameplay backbone, which I think a lot of his games don't necessarily have all the time. Yes. And, th- and the fact that this is happening within an independent environment is pretty staggering. It's very rare that both sides of these very divergent coins are so strong. Yeah, I, I mean, Suda51 is a great example, especially No More Heroes, because so much of what that game was about was the mix of, like, the gaudy and the austere. Because mm-hmm. it's like, it's a satire of America, you know? You have certain areas that are f- just full of junk, and then you can drive 50 miles in another direction, and you're in empty desert forever. Um, you know, like everybody's inside of the computers, so the streets are empty. There, it, it's a very weird way of doing a game of making it like purposely boring. Yeah, and I think that this game does almost the exact same thing in certain ways. Like you're in heaven, but no one's around really. Yeah, and there's all this beautiful architecture, but it's empty. Um, and it's getting a, a lot of the, those same kind of questions, but the game is moving at breakneck speed. And is fun, pretty pretty much every second, right? Like it's not it's not doing the like Brechtian thing of we're gonna this is, this is a wild episode, but like we're not gonna purposely break you out of your immersion to make you feel that you know something's amiss here. We're gonna right. like if you spot it, you spot it. Yeah. Um, which I I like. I I on I mean honestly, I probably prefer it because. I think at the end of the day, expecting people to play a video game for more than five hours that they just fundamentally don't enjoy being in is an almost impossible ask. Yes, agreed. Um, uh, very quickly, I, I, we should probably touch on the visual novel itself. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's difficult because I've gotten through like two chapters, so I'm only kind of scratching the surface of it. The way the sort of story unfolds, it actually requires some level of completionist aspect because as you collect these presents through the levels it unlocks dialogue sequences with the various characters in the game so you Mm. can decide it's similar to hades in that way you can be like oh i really like this cat secretary i'm gonna bring this cat secretary a present (laughs) and then they'll be like 
tell you tell their backstory and stuff like that, which is which is funny to me. Um, yeah, but the, again, the cats are there. There are angel cats who are I think I think like kind of the business workers or middle management of heaven. And right, but they're not angels, actually cats. Yes, they look like whatever brings you comfort. So to your character, they all look like knockoffs of like Garfield and Heathcliff. Yes, someone else sees John Cena, which is pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, I, you know, it's hard, again, it's hard for me to sort of say how well it sticks to landing, because I think I need to see to the very end to know whether it does. But I think from a voice acting perspective, and from like a writing perspective, I'm entertained. And that's, you know, it's difficult for me to be entertained with a visual novel. I do want to also call out the voice. I'm for, I think it's Stephen Bloom. Uh, the guy who did the voice of Spike Spiegel in the uh, dub version of Cowboy Bebop plays the lead, Neon White, the oh. Neon White. So it's great to hear his voice again. It has not changed in the 30 years since he did Cowboy Bebop. That's um, wild. That makes I'm so sure the rest sense. of the cast is also like anime mainstays and, and folks like that. Um, but yeah, no, it, it, I, think, I think they did an amazing job with this. I'd be shocked if it didn't make it into our top 10, quite honestly, at this point. Yeah, I, yes. I, so, yeah, with the visual novel, I, I think it's overall, I, I'm really enjoying it. I think that the dialogue can be a little cringy at times, but I think that's on purpose. I think, I'm not sure. And I think it can be a little, like, some story beats are slower than others. Sure. That said, I'm probably. I think I'm like six days. The game is broken. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. You're pretty into it. And that's with like every gift. Um, So a lot of a story. And when it kicks into gear, I think it really starts moving. There's a boss fight that you are always away from. Um, But for me, it was once I got to that boss fight, it, yeah, it really kind of found itself. And it's kind of similar to Hades. It, it opened up in ways that I found pretty surprising. Yeah. Um, I still don't entirely know what the story is about. I, I I can say that it kind of has one or two very key mysteries that it reveals after about two or three hours. The one thing that I do want to talk about is the the boss angels. So there's kind of a um, the good place energy to, yeah. to all of this where you there's just a lot of questions of like, wait, why the hell are we here? Like. There are these monk, ball like like angels, like traditional angels, like a hello. Yes, we are very holy. Yes, but they're also like huge snobs and like elite jerks. So they talk about like how they're always eating foie gras and they're always just doing all these decadent things and how they will you know not even let you eat their own trash, Um, and they're effectively watching you all. All of the neons, these characters, these sinners, participate in a blood sport um, for their like main entertainment, um, and it feels like it is a commentary, maybe on like I don't know, kind of like neoliberal politics of these people who like know what's best for you as they like watch from their place of comfort, or maybe it's about like management versus the proletariat i don't know knowing again there is like kind of a political undercurrent to donut county i think i'm very curious where this game goes Mm. and it's it's cool to have a game where i both really enjoy playing it and i'm legitimately curious what the story is about yeah Uh, that is very rare hell of a double whammy um 
cool. That's, uh, I mean, I feel like I could talk about this game forever, but I know that, like you said, we'll we'll be talking about it more later. Any any other thoughts on your end? No, uh, just a heads up. The game is only available on PC and Switch. Uh, Plant, you played it on PC, I'm guessing? I played it on PC and Steam Deck, and it was great on Steam Deck. I really enjoyed the joysticks on the Steam Deck, and I'm curious how it handles on Switch. Yeah, I have not played it on Switch. I've only played it on PC on my computer, and it screamed like it was not at all uh, a problem to run the game. Uh, So I'd be the only thing I would say is if you're interested in playing on Switch, just do some research before and make sure it runs okay. Um, Because it should, presumably, uh, but I feel like 60 frames a second steady is very important for this game. And um, so So there's. Yeah. Yeah, there's a question that we are going to get to in the next segment. Perfect, perfect uh, uh, switch right here. Sure. Uh, that's going to be about controllers that I think will be the second half. Ooh, I love of, talking about controllers. Of why you should this. That's why I added it. I knew it would be for you. Awesome. Okay, let's get right to it. Okay. Okay, so if you all listened to last episode of Besties, you know that we are emptying out the mailbag. So uh, we're finishing that out right now. We've got uh, a handful of final questions. Let's get to them. Actually, you know what? I'm going to move one up that is about the Switch controllers because I know that we kind of love people hanging there, and I, I think that's important. So this one, Frush, is for you. Okay. This one is from Aaron. What are your favorite recommendations for al- for alternatives to switch Joy-Cons for those of us experiencing drift and are looking for a more permanent solution than just buy more Joy-Cons? Sure. I mean, I've talked about it before, but I'll reiterate it. I use the Hori Split Pad Pro controllers on my um, Switch. Uh, they are considerably larger but they basically replace the Joy-Cons if you're in handheld mode. They are not really useful if you are in docked mode, so just keep that in mind. If you're in docked, I would just say use a Pro Controller if you can. But in handheld mode, the Hori uh, Hori, um, Split Pad Pro Controllers are dynamite. They have not left my Switch in the two years since, and I've not had any drifting issues with them whatsoever. You might have different experience, but just for me, they've been tremendous. Yeah, they rule. I I keep them in my uh, travel backpack all the time. Um, uh, This question is from Matt. Is there a game from your childhood that you would like to see remade or, uh, yeah, just remade into a a modern video game? This is similar to what we talked about with uh, Deep Cuts getting revived, and I mentioned ActRaiser, even though, again, it was literally remade like a year ago, and I just wasn't super happy about it. Um, you know what a game I would love is there was a series where you played as a demon. It was called Demon's Crest, and there was a Game Boy one called Demon's Legend, Demon Legend, something like that. Mm. Um, and both games were really good. You literally played as like a demon going through hell and then getting powers. I actually think you played as the little flying guy in Ghosts and Goblins. I think there might have been the same development oh, team. Oh, yes. That's Even, correct. Yeah. yeah this so, is made by Capcom. Yeah, made by Capcom. And so those games were great. And they basically have been dormant since, I want to say, the Game Boy one was probably the last one that came out. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, I'd love to see that get revived. Yeah, I 
I feel like this is like a little bit of like a monkey paw wish sort of thing here. It is. Because I've I've wished this before. I wanted a Mutant League football game forever. And like eventually it came out and it wasn't what yeah. I wanted. Uh, I wanted more Toe Jam and Earl and that came out and whatever. It, it was fine. It's not bad by any means. It just, it, 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 I have impossible expectations for whatever I obsessed over as a kid. So instead of picking a game that I really love, I'm going to pick a game that I'm like actually kind of like lukewarm on, but I just think should exist, which is bringing back the Twisted Metal series. Oh. Um, I feel like it will happen because now think? Sony is like, well, Sony have a TV show coming out. Yeah, they have a TV show coming out. And I, I just feel like Sony's in need of something like more IP, more exclusives. Um, there was a while where they were still trying to act like Twisted Metal was an active brand. I believe the, the character Sweet Tooth, uh, evil clown who drives an ice cream truck, uh, appeared in that PlayStation, you know, Battle Royale, All Stars, whatever oh, yes. it was. Um, but yeah, for people who are not familiar with the series, it's this like very grim, dark '90s metal tool cover album. Uh, that's also a like, I don't like open space sh- car shooter vehicle. It's like shooter? an ob- it's like a, co- a car combat game in a car like combat. An arena. Yes, thank you. Yeah, like an arena. I yeah, I don't find those games. As like I, I think they're visually interesting. I, the actual minute to minute of Twisted Metal, I've never found super fun because I think it's kind of clumsy to have car combat games. But I have always had a soft spot, as you had, uh, for just like the franchise overall. I think it has, I think it touches on like a lot of things just nostalgically for people. And that's why it's getting rebooted as a TV show. So yeah. I'm definitely curious. And especially as like 90s nostalgia comes back, I feel like there's a place for it. Um, uh, this one is from Sterling. Uh, by your expert opinion, what is the oldest ancestor of the modern video game? Thinking mm. pre-digital here. What's, what do we count as a modern video game? Oh, uh, well, if it says thinking of the modern video game, I think you, they mean oh, just so video game, and then thinking pre-digital. So, I mean, go like a. If, if I mean, that talking, would be or Senate, I guess, would be the the very first board game ever was Senate. Yeah, and then or or, or like all those sports. I mean, I know there are a lot of people who don't like when we talk about sports on the podcast, <laughs> but like, come on, sports <laughs> that that competitive bo- uh, games, sports. Uh, yeah. I, I guess that's probably the closest we can get uh, because you're talking about basically to like try to define what a video game is. It's a series of rules where you have an objective and you follow that objective to have fun, basically. Yeah. And so board games and or sports are both examples of that. And and you can read more about that in this new book called The History of Fun. Now I promised I was done plugging. But I, I, I'm I not. Stop I'm never done. Plugging. You can't stop me. <laughs> Um, uh, this one is from Tomas. Uh, what's the best pick up and play game at the moment for you when you literally only have five minutes at a time to play? Oh, that's a good question. Are you ready? Because I have a mobile game that I have beaten before you even start. Wait, wait, you did start it. Never mind. Damn it. What? You, you, you've started point P, haven't you? Oh, I did. I did start playing point P. Yes. (sighs) Okay. So point P is by the, uh, the person who made Downwell which is a game you and I obsessed over 
And I can't believe it's actually been that long since that game came out because we played that in the Vox Media offices when it was back. I don't know, like what? Yeah, what is it, six in, years old at this in point? Midtown? Yeah, six or seven years old. Uh, yeah, seven, because, yeah, it's been a while. Um, anyway, that was a game where you went down a well and you fired bullets at enemies. This is a game where you go up a well and you feed uh, fruit to a giant cat creature. And it is so good. If you like that feeling of slingshotting little characters across worlds, mm-hmm. ooh, this is it. Um addictive as hell gorgeous great art it has like a kind of adventure time art style to it uh or like a cuphead almost yeah Yeah, it's um super fun uh really great mechanics it does for what it's worth require a netflix account because it is part of netflix games and they actually ask you to log into netflix to access it uh, but, but if you, you still Netflix, just download it off the usual app store. But yeah, yeah, it's stuff. in iOS. You just or you know Android. Yeah. But if you have a Netflix account, um, it is unquestionably the best of the like exclusive Netflix games releases they've done so far, and it does make me optimistic that they're going to have a lot more good stuff coming. Yeah, and uh, they also have Into the Breach coming on mobile. Oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, which is uh, smart on their part. I think it's like a updated version of it. Wow, love um, This one is from uh, Luke. What's your wildest how this happened sort of game where a beloved game mascot showed up in such a weird property? Uh, I mean, the example that uh, they gave is, you know, Sonic at the Olympics or Kazuya in uh, Smash Brothers. Well, it's going to be boring. But I'm going to say, in a million billion years, I never thought it would be possible to watch Darth Vader of Star Wars do Gangnam Style while wearing a Pac-Man backpack. And it it is now in Fortnite. You can do that. You can literally do that. (laughs) Yeah, I I feel like Fortnite blew up this entire question. Yes. It's always going to be the right answer. Mine's kind of a cheat, and I know I've talked about it before. But Jerry Rice and Nidus's dog football. Oh, sure. In which famed football player, retired football player Jerry Rice and his dog Nidus have a football game called Dog Football on the Wii. And I believe it is actually sponsored by the, the, the Pet Sports League, which has its own logo. That's, that's, some, good, that's some good video games that I, I never thought would happen. And uh, I'm just grateful. I'm glad it exists in the world. Dog football, for what it's worth, is on Steam. It's a dollar and seventy-nine cents, and it's got a ninety-two percent rating according to twenty-seven user reviews. You oh. are one dollar and seventy-nine cents away from playing Jerry Rice and Nidus dog football, folks, and it looks. You know what? This might need to be an episode. <laughs> is this can't be right? I'm saying that its release date was. 2011 that was probably a uh that had to be a re-release right you see i was gonna say are we we really ready for an anniversary let me pause one more moment and say uh i'm watching the trailer now at one point someone gets a first down and on the screen it says first down wow wow fucking spectacular there's also um, a dog riding a skateboard for some reason. I don't know why. So, so the game was released in 2011. I could have sworn it would have been much longer than that. It, this is like late days Wii. I yeah, guess. I guess it must, must have been one of the last Wii games. That came yeah, out. so I think maybe for its 10th anniversary in August, it might be time. There's a, a quote from IGN here. All around, the game is surprisingly well done. I could see lots of families having fun with 
Good old dog football here. Seven out of ten, IGN. <laughs> Bless it. Um, uh, okay, uh, last question. And I didn't prepare for this because I wanted to be off the cuff. It is from ALAG. Yeah. Top five films, nothing concrete, off the cuff at the time of asking. Ugh. Five is a lot. Can we do like three? How about three? Okay. And and I'm just going to do the movies that immediately spring to mind. Um, Hudsucker Proxy, mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, uh, uh, Indiana Jones and the Last uh, the Last Crusade. Okay, those are good. Those are good. Um, blah, 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 blah. I I mean, it's hard for me not to do it because I on my letterbox I have. My, yeah, like, top you've been. Already. You're way more prepared than I am. Yeah, I mean, I feel I'm trying to think of like something that's not in my letterbox because if it's letterboxed, it'd be easy. It's um, the wind rises. Hmm. After that, probably high and low. Uh, which have you seen that? High and lowest, the cartoon. No, high the, and the low. The no. like, it's a Kurosawa like, kind of like action thriller about a child abduction. No, it's, it, it's unbelievably good. Cool. Um, it's like almost Hitchcockian. It's it's wild. Um, yeah, I think you would I think you'd really like it. Um, and after that, it gets like pretty hazy. I mean, I think on there, I uh, I don't even know. I think I have a stalker on there, which is a movie I love. But I know that you are not a huge fan of that director. You saw Mirror, right? By oh yeah. yeah, unwatchable Tarkovsky. Um, Woof. yeah, now I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at my, my like Blu-rays next to me. I don't know. That's a good, that's a good collection. I feel like. Yeah, no, that's good. Um, okay. I think we did it. I think the mailbag is like fully empty. I'm, I'm, I'm digging around and I don't see anything left. But these were great questions, both on besties and, and now today. Thank you, everybody. You really did it. You did How it. You did it. Um, uh, to wrap things up. Recommendation of the week. I mentioned Mad God at the top. You can find it on Shudder. If you can see it in a theater, definitely see it in a theater. Again, if you have the stomach for like very weird dark stop motion animation experiments. Um, uh, It's incredible in a theater and it will probably be the only opportunity you ever get to see it on a large screen is like in the next two weeks. Um, That said... Not possible for the vast majority of people. Um, so I recommend watching it on Shudder. I believe it's available right now. And Shudder pretty consistently has one of those, you know, free char- free uh, trial periods on like, I think Amazon and on Apple TV. Um, so you can try it. Watch that. Watch their like four or five hour documentary on folk horror, which is also great. And, you know, by that time, your weekend's pretty much done. There you go. Oh, man, your recommendation is so good. So my recommendation is Players, which is a TV show. It's on Paramount Plus, so I I apologize. I'm sure a lot of people listening do not have Paramount Plus. But if you happen to watch American Vandal on Netflix, this comes from the same creative team behind American Vandal. That show was a mockumentary sort of uh, making a true crime recreation out of like kind of ridiculous high school like pranks uh and the new one players is the same format but covering basically an esports team that is playing league of legends 
And it's pretty interesting because they clearly did a ton of research to get a lot of the nitty gritty of like an esports team correct and right without it feeling like total parody. But obviously it is written for comedy. So it's very trumped up and ridiculous. And um, I don't know. One of the guys is named Nut Milk. I don't know what more I could say. About it. <laughs> it, it is so good. And I say this as somebody who has never played a single game of League. Yeah. And largely finds esports culture completely unbearable. Um, it It's clearly made by people who love both League and esports while also understanding the gobs of flaws with all of that. Yes. Um, and it it's wild. I mean, they, they kind of did this with um, American Vandal, but I feel like even more so here, they really allow for moments of, like, humanity. Yeah, like, they tell very tender human stories in these, like, very outlandish formats, which is surprising. You don't expect it, but it kind of sneaks up on you. Yeah, I... I really hope a ton of people watch it, even though, again, it's on Paramount+. Plus. But hey, I guess if you still have your Halo subscription... That's true. Then you could... Maybe it's... It, you it's amazing. This, it. Yeah, this show probably costs, like, what? One fiftieth of the cost of Halo? Yeah, and it looks so much better than <laughs> Yeah, it, it, Yeah, actually, you're right. It Just on a, on a pure visual level, it looks better. Well, it's directed by Tony Ascenda, who did... Uh, Dave, which is also a, a show that I really like on FX. Oh, um, so there's, yeah, he's it's a very cre- a talented team. So that makes sense. Wow, yeah. that is that is a lot of talent. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, I'm gonna wrap things up uh, with the games that we talked about today. Uh, at the very top, hey, we talked about some movies: The Thing, Mad God, Indiana Jones, and the Temple of Doom, and Kuso. Then we spent a good long chunk of time talking about Neon White. After that. We answered a bunch of your questions, uh, just kind of all over the place at that point. And then uh, our recommendations for this week are Mad God on Shudder and Players on Paramount+. Plus. Did it. That's it. Uh, next week, do we know what we're doing? Well, next two weeks. Two weeks, yeah. No, I don't think we do. I've been playing, for what it's worth, the DLC for Cuphead, so I'm Ooh. sure I'll at least talk about it a little bit. I don't know if it's going to be a full episode, but... If you're curious about that, it is uh, very interesting. And I, I'll probably talk about that new Capcom fighting game collection that has uh, a puzzle fighter in it. Oh. I know. I'm very excited. It, the, the Capcom made a fighting game collection that's just everything that isn't Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great. Um, cool. Well, I think that is it for us. Uh, thank you all for listening. This has been another episode of The Resties, where the rest of the best discuss the best of the rest. Resties! Resties. (laughs) Nail it every time.